You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Attackers lock up Azure accounts with MFA. Bank of America alerts customers to a third-party data breach. Malicious cyber activity targets elections worldwide. CISA highlights a vulnerability in Roundcube webmail. Lawmakers introduce a bipartisan bill to enhance healthcare security. Siemens and Schneider Electric address multiple industrial vulnerabilities. Perception and tech gender parity still has a long way to go. Dave Bittner speaks with guest Andrew Scott, Associate Director of China Operations at CISA, and Brett Leatherman, Section Chief for Cyber at the FBI, about Chinese threat actor Volt Typhoon and the scourge of online obituary spam. Today is February 13th, 2024. I'm not Dave Bittner, but Trey Hester, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. An ongoing campaign is targeting hundreds of Microsoft Azure accounts, including those of senior executives, aiming to steal data and financial assets. Security firm Proofpoint discovered the attackers use sophisticated phishing techniques to compromise Azure environments, affecting a broad spectrum of roles globally. Once they gain access, attackers secure accounts with multi-factor authentication to hinder password changes or access review by victims. Post-compromise actions include data exfiltration, internal and external phishing for lateral movement, financial fraud attempts, and creating mailbox rules to hide malicious activities. The attackers use proxies to match their IP's geographical location with their targets and employ compromised domains and data hosting services to obfuscate their operations. Indicators of compromise involve specific user agents and domains, with some proxy services tracing back to Russia and Nigeria, though no specific threat actor has been identified by Proofpoint. Organizations are advised to monitor user agents and source domains for signs of compromise and employ security defenses against both initial and post-compromise activities. Bank of America has alerted its customers to a data breach at Infosys McCamish Systems, a service provider exposing personal information like names, social security numbers, and financial details of potentially 57,000 individuals. The breach, attributed to a cybersecurity event in November 2023, led to unauthorized access to IMS systems, but did not compromise Bank of America's own systems. 
the LockBit ransomware gang claimed responsibility for encrypting over 2,000 IMS systems during the breach. This incident is part of a larger trend of cyber attacks by LockBit, which has targeted numerous organizations worldwide since 2019. Additionally, financial information of Bank of America customers was also exposed in a separate breach of the MoveIt transfer platform by the Klopp cybercrime gang in May of 2023. Infosys, the parent company of IMS, has yet to comment on the breach. Security firm ReSecurity reports a significant uptake in malicious cyber activities aimed at influencing sovereign elections globally. 2024 has seen an unprecedented number of voters participating in elections across 64 countries, including a pivotal U.S. presidential election. This cyber activity, which has doubled since the previous analysis period, targets nations worldwide, aiming to disrupt democratic processes and manipulate public opinion through cyber espionage and the dissemination of targeted propaganda. Threat actors driven by profit, ideology, or under the direction of nation-states seek to undermine the integrity of elections by exploiting leaked voter data and personal information. Resecurity emphasizes the urgent need for robust identity protection measures to safeguard the democratic process against evolving cyber threats and foreign interference campaigns. CISA has alerted users to an actively exploited cross-site scripting vulnerability in the RoundCube webmail, identified by Zscaler researcher Naraj Shivtarka, with a CVSS score of 6.1. This flaw threatens to expose sensitive data via malicious links in plain text emails. This issue on September 15th of last year affects a widely used PHP-based IMAP email client compatible with various web servers and databases. Over 132,000 RoundCube servers are publicly accessible online, raising concerns about potential security risks. CISA has urged vendors to apply mitigations or discontinue using vulnerable versions to protect against this security threat. U.S. lawmakers are introducing a bipartisan bill aimed at enhancing cybersecurity in the healthcare sector amidst a surge of cyber attacks. The Strengthening Cybersecurity and Healthcare Act, proposed by Senators Angus King and Marco Rubio, mandates the Department of Health and Human Services to conduct biennial cybersecurity reviews and tests of its IT systems. This requirement comes in response to the Department's management of data for 65 million Medicare patients and the record 734 breaches reported in 2023 affecting over 135 million people. The bill seeks to update HHS's cybersecurity strategy to address evolving threats, requiring biannual reports to Congress on progress and plans. Siemens and Schneider Electric have released 18 security advisories, addressing a combined total of 275 vulnerabilities for their industrial products. Siemens Advisories covers 270 vulnerabilities across various products, including scalant switches, the Senec Industrial Network Management Solution, and several others, with most issues rated as critical or high severity. These factors could lead to arbitrary code execution, denial of service attacks, or information disclosure, with updates available for most affected products. Schneider Electric's three advisories detail five vulnerabilities in products like EcoStructure Control Expert and Harmony Relay NFC, addressing issues such as unauthorized access to PLCs and unauthentication bypass. Siemens is also implementing CVSS 4.0 severity ratings. An article in Euronews outlines that despite 80% of men in the tech industry believing in gender parity, women in tech challenge this perception, pointing out structural challenges and biases that still exist. A survey by recruitment company Nigel Frank International 
revealed that only a small fraction of men disagree with the notion that there is currently gender equality in tech, contrasting sharply with women's experiences of sexism and inequality in the workplace. The issue extends to venture funding, where women founders face significant hurdles due to the male-dominated investor landscape. Recommendations for improvement include hiring and properly compensating women, calling out sexism, ensuring inclusive decision-making, and increasing the presence of women in senior and investor roles to combat deep-rooted gender biases and foster equality in the tech industry. Coming up after the break, Dave Bittner sits down with CISA's Andrew Scott and the FBI's Brett Leatherman. They share the latest joint advisory from their respective agencies on the People's Republic of China and Volt Typhoon and offer some living off the land guidance. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The Chinese threat actor Volt Typhoon has been top of mind for cybersecurity professionals in the federal government, with recent testimony from both FBI Director Christopher Wray and CISA Director Jen Easterly highlighting the degree to which Volt Typhoon and China represent a capable and persistent threat. Joining me today are experts from both the FBI and CISA. Andrew Scott is Associate Director for China Operations at CISA, 
and Brett Leatherman is acting deputy assistant for FBI cyber operations. Brett, let me start with you. Can you give us some of the backstory and current state of things when it comes to Volt Typhoon? So in December 2023 and January 2024, the FBI conducted a technical operation pursuant to warrants issued out of U.S. District Court uh, under Rule 41 authorities. The warrants authorized the FBI to seize and remove malware associated with the KV botnet from compromised small office, home office routers, often referred to as SOHO routers, located throughout the United States. SOHO devices are typically used by private citizens or small businesses who have limited IT and security resources. The KV botnet malware was unlikely to be identified and mitigated by these device owners. So the FBI technical operation really leveraged commands native to the botnet itself to delete the malware from the SOHO devices. It also prevented the device from being reinfected by stopping further communications between those devices and the botnet's command and control infrastructure. It's important to note that we didn't actually patch these devices or make persistent changes to the devices themselves. What we did was we prevented the device from further communicating with the actor's infrastructure. Those changes really are non-persistent. And really, they can be removed by the device owner with a simple reboot of the device. That's why we went public with the Joint Cybersecurity Advisory to help the public to understand exactly what the Volt Typhoon actors were using these devices for and how they can better mitigate the threats to the U.S. in general by allowing these end-of-life devices to stay on their networks. Andrew, can you give us some details from CISA's perspective of who we're dealing with here? I mean, what what, what should we know about Volt Typhoon, uh, what they're up to, and, and who's behind it? Sure. Thanks for the question. So I would just build off of my colleague at FBI's answer to, to wind the clock back a little less than a year to last spring when CISA... Uh, Many of our U.S. government partners and international partners uh, released a cybersecurity advisory uh, highlighting Volt uh, Typhoon's use of living off the land techniques to hide on victim networks. Subsequent to that um, advisory, over the course of the intervening months, SZA then worked extensively with our industry partners. Uh, to identify potential victims of uh, Bolt Typhoon activity, which is our belief is the the PRC state-sponsored activity, and identify and provide victim support to multiple uh, entities across multiple sectors. And as a result of our incident response activities, what we've determined is that those actors have compromised the IT environments of multiple critical infrastructure organizations in the United States, uh, primarily in communications, energy, transportation, water, and wastewater. And so last week, uh, CISA, FBI, and a number of our partners issued an updated cybersecurity advisory, really highlighting and emphasizing the concerns, the risk, and issuing guidance that industry partners can use to help harden their networks and improve their defenses. Can we go into some of the details here? What are the recommendations that uh, your organizations have put out there? 
So I think what we're seeing here is um, a use of what we call living off the land uh, tradecraft. What that means is that these actors are using native uh, tools on the network to sort of imitate basic user behavior. And so what they're doing is compromising the identity and credentials for just regular users on these networks to include administrators and then using that access to maintain access in the environment, which which would allow them to do uh, all kinds of malicious activity if they chose to do so. So a couple of the pieces of guidance that we're really emphasizing, prioritizing, patching your internet-facing systems and vulnerabilities that are known to be exploited by the Chinese or other actors. CISA offers the known exploited vulnerabilities database as a key uh, service that we offer to help folks figure out what to patch. Implementing phishing-resistant multi-factor authentication to ensure that your credentials uh, can't be stolen through just you know regular spear phishing techniques. And really ensuring that logging is turned on and that centralized logging is stored so that if you're concerned about the kind of activity that we're highlighting, you have the ability to find it on your network and determine how to take defensive measures. Brad, how about uh, from the FBI's perspective? Yeah, I would just add a couple, you know, thoughts on that covered by the both the Joint Cybersecurity Advisory as well as kind of our prior recommendations In addition to what Andrew said, we would recommend that organizations where able build network and host baselines. When when an adversary like Volt Typhoon are trying to hide within the network, uh, it's important to understand what those anomalies are to behavior on the network. And so building a baseline, understanding how your network operates is important because the adversary has a vested interest in understanding how your network deviates as well and disdain within that. Um, I would also say that in the cyber defense world, we've often talked about, you know, the importance of inventory in our hardware and not having hardware out there that we don't know is network administrators. Those are points of vulnerability. This demonstrates it's also important to have software inventories to understand what software is being used within our environment, especially those tools that can be used Uh, to live off the land by the actors and either disable tools that we're not using or build appropriate safeguards in place with those tools. And this also demonstrates the importance of retiring end-of-life devices. As network cybersecurity professionals were taught to patch, patch, patch whenever vulnerabilities are exposed, this demonstrates that end-of-life devices, there are no patches available. And at that point, they become vulnerable to exploitation. And it's really important that we retire those devices and bring new devices into our environment, which are built with security as a baseline to them. Right. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned at the outset the, the activity from the FBI of going in to help secure these end-of-life devices. Um, what sort of thing goes on in terms of notifying the owners here? And and uh, what has the response been from industry so far? Yeah, that's an important point. Uh, when we operate via Rule 41, we are conducting a law enforcement operation, which requires at the conclusion notification to victims. And we, we want to do that. We partner with victims to help them build resiliency in their networks. You know, one thing that we are big advocates of here uh, here in the FBI is that cybersecurity is national security. And this operation demonstrates that we all 
play a vital role in protecting our national interests, whether you're a small business, medium business, or otherwise uh, an individual or large business, your, your data, your information is important to the adversary and can have impact on the uh, national security, but also your systems are vulnerable and, and can have an impact as well. So after this operation concluded, we conducted victim notification to hundreds of endpoint victims who were compromised, uh, in some cases directly and in some cases through the internet service providers that they were riding on top of, and provided them with uh, some context around what the operation was, who was utilizing their devices, and how to better protect those devices in the future. Andrew, I'm curious as we look forward here, I mean, uh, Volt Typhoon, uh, presumably coming out of China, I think we can assume that they are well-funded and, and will probably be persistent. This won't be the last that we see of them. Uh, what sort of things should we look for moving forward to, to help mitigate what could be the next wave of activity from this group? Thanks for that. I think what I'd offer is thinking about this not as waves of activity, but persistent, ongoing action. If you look back at what the Director of National Intelligence highlighted in the unclassified annual threat assessment from 2023. She talked about the fact that the PRC sort of sees cyber as a key means of achieving its military objectives in the event of a crisis or conflict with the United States. And so from CISA's perspective, what we're deeply concerned about is that we're seeing these actors burrow into our critical infrastructure to maintain access in the event that they uh, ultimately choose to, to take more disruptive or destructive activity. And so what that means is really that this, this should be seen as a call to collective action for government, for industry partners uh, in the cybersecurity field, and for critical infrastructure owners and operators. And so I'd highlight a couple of things here. The first, uh, every victim of a cyber incident should report it to CISN FBI every time. Because as Brett just noted, cybersecurity is national security and a threat to one could result in a threat to, to many. Um, the second is really encouraging every critical infrastructure entity to establish a relationship with their local CISA team and enroll in the free services that we have, like Vulnerability Scanning, where we can help entities understand the risk that they have on their network and repair the vulnerabilities that are being exploited by Chinese actors. The third I'd highlight is that every critical infrastructure entity really outside of the cyber dimension of this, doubling down on a commitment to resilience, you know, expecting and preparing for potential attacks in the future, testing and exercising the continuity of their critical systems, uh, to ensure that they can operate through disruption and that they can recover rapidly. But really, everything that I just highlighted is only achievable if CEOs, boards, and every leader of a critical infrastructure organization recognizes and, and treats cyber risk as core business risk and recognize that managing them is both a matter of good governance and, and national security. Fred, anything to add to that uh, idea? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... China represents the broadest, most active and persistent cyber threat to the United States today. And last week on the Hill, the FBI director uh, tried to give everybody a sense of the scale of the Chinese cyber threat by indicating that if all FBI cyber agents and all our cyber intelligence analysts focus solely on China 
and not ransomware, Iran, Russia, or other cyber threats, the Chinese hackers would still outnumber the FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1. And I think that most, if not all Americans at this point, are tracking uh, the persistent threat that China poses uh, in the realm of cyber espionage to us today. But what many Americans may not be tracking quite as closely is that they are pre-positioning in some cases its enormous hacking enterprise, again, 50 to 1, to give themselves the ability to physically wreak havoc on our critical infrastructure at a time of their choosing. And this demonstrates that the PRC is willing uh, to compromise IT environments, information technology environments, to potentially target um, operational technology or, or OT environments within critical infrastructure um, to deploy capabilities at a time of their choosing. So I think you know us remaining conscious about that, continuing to partner across the U.S. government and in private sector will help us to best defend against those kind of attacks in the future. So, Brett, you know, when, when I talk to folks in the FBI, one of the things that, that uh, comes up over and over again is this, this idea of uh, proactively starting a relationship, you know, with your local FBI field office, but also being able to communicate online. What are the best ways for folks to do that? Yeah, I appreciate that question, Dave. Um, we recommend, number one, like you indicated, that folks build a relationship with their local FBI field office. We have 56 field offices across the United States, a four-deployed workforce. And uh, within every company's area, uh, there is an FBI office and there is a cyber task force there. And we encourage folks to build a relationship in advance of a breach with that field office and to report any breach or anomaly with that field office. We bring along with our partners at CISA, tremendous intelligence to bear uh, to victim organizations. And we prioritize uh, victim engagement, remediation, mitigation, along with our partners at CISA on a regular basis. And if an organization suffers a breach, in addition to reaching out to their local FBI field office, they're always welcome to provide uh, information via IC3, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, and they can reach that at www.ic3.gov. Andrew, how do folks get in touch with CISA? Sure, thanks for the question. And I'd start by just noting, as Brett just said, CISA and FBI work uh, very closely and jointly, both here uh, at the headquarters elements in Washington as well as out in the field. So for CISA, we similarly, although not at the scale of FBI, have regional personnel deployed around the country uh, that provide physical security and cybersecurity uh, support and assistance. Um, to critical infrastructure and any other uh, entity in, in the sector that is uh, interested and needs support. So would encourage, uh, just as Brett noted, um, reporting through the FBI field office, but also to CISA, uh, where any anomalous cyber activity or incident can report it 24-7 to report at CISA.gov or by our phone number at 1-888-282-0870. All right. Well, Andrew Scott is Associate Director for China Operations at CISA, and Brett Leatherman is Acting Deputy Assistant for FBI Cyber Operations. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, Mia Sato reports for The Verge about the ghoulish trend of online obituary spam. In late December of 2023, Brian Vastog was shocked to find fake obituaries online, claiming both he and his late partner, Beth Mazur, had died. While Mazur did pass away on December 21st of 2023, Vastog was very much alive, contrary to the misleading reports spread by several spammy websites. These sites exploited Mazur's death for clicks, using SEO tactics to appear at the top of Google search results. The misinformation, suspected to be generated by AI tools, included over a dozen sites and YouTube videos impacting Vestage and friends deeply. This case highlights the broader issue of obituary scraping, where low-quality, often inaccurate obituaries are published at scale, sometimes even affecting private individuals not in the public eye. Despite efforts to correct the record, platforms like Google struggle to manage the deluge of such deceitful content, underscoring the challenges in combating digital information and respecting the deceased's legacy. So here's to looking forward to the day where we can write the obituary for this kind of despicable online misinformation. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is me, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.